You are listening to the Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beej, the advancing journeyman developer. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. It's a small world after all. The world is a lot smaller than it used to be. 20 years ago, a software developer in the heartland of America could expect pretty much everyone would be in the same office. And the internet, though, has changed that a lot. Now it's getting increasingly common that teams are both diverse and distributed across multiple offices or even multiple continents. This means that all of us have to adjust the way we do things to work with a new reality. We're going to be talking about some common anti-patterns of distributed teams and how to correct those anti-patterns to make things work more smoothly. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Last Tuesday was my 38th birthday. Woot woot. And it was also the first opportunity to go in and see a doctor about some lower abdominal pain I've been having, which turned out to be a hernia. What's the opposite of woot? Uh, poot? I don't know. Uh, it's kind of... Two? Uh, I don't know what the opposite of woot is. Yeah, yeah okay. It's just, I think, just normal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So anyway, I actually found out that I'm going to have to have surgery um, here in another uh, week or so. Uh, this episode will come out well after that, of mm -hmm. course. But yeah, that's what I've been dealing with that and our gigantic backlog of things that we have to do um, for the conference season coming up. Yeah, like I think I worked like 12 hours on Saturday and I don't know how many I worked on Sunday. Yeah, it's it's definitely some long days right now. So how about you? Well, I have been reading documentation and more documentation and more documentation all day long. We're starting a discovery slash planning sprint for a new project I'm on. Uh, the goal is to replace an old system with a newer one that's built to be scalable and have the ability to add new features. I spent the day reading the docs on the old system to start planning the replacement tomorrow. Also, I've been feeling quite a bit more like myself lately. I know not that long ago I talked on our live feed about starting to feel depressed and um, about recognizing that I was starting to feel depressed. Well, I've been putting a lot of effort into resetting myself, so to speak. Uh, I noticed that my new car has a tape player. <laughs> <laughs> So I went over to a, a used music store and bought a bunch of cassettes. They're uh, 25 cents each. That was nice. Uh, and I've been kind of just working on being myself lately uh, to the point that you noticed it at our writing group we attended yesterday where I was just kind of being a little random. Yeah, which is yeah. which is my normal state. Yeah. like it, It's how I am when I'm in a good mood. Yeah, you've been kind of grumpy lately and not... Um, not like really locked in as yeah. well, I think. And that's, it's good that you caught that, you know, a bit earlier. Exactly. Exactly. So I've, I've been, you know, over the last few weeks, really working on kind of working on me, I guess. So I have something kind of interesting for IOTs this week. It's, it's quirky, just like me. So, uh, let's go ahead and roll the music. 
this week for IOTs, I have a fun sort of product. I'm not really sure it's out on the market yet, but it is edible robotic fingers. <laughs> edible robotic fingers? Yeah. That's like, that reminds me, there's like this evil, there's like this evil spirit in, uh, I think in, in Oblivion, that's got this Irish accent and he's like, I can make you eat your own fingers. <laughs> so these are edible and biodegradable robotic parts that serve a multitude of functions. While not actually IoT material, they can be used with IoT devices. They're designed for tasks like handling fruit without bruising it or passing through your GI tract and filming thing. Well, without filming. bruising it? Yeah, without bruising it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, medications can be added to the mix uh, so that they deliver it while digesting and uh, record or transmit the process. They could also be used to track wild animals or sent into a wilderness area to do something and then safely decompose once they're finished with their task. They're made from gelatin, glycerin, and water. So it's pretty cool, but uh, just for those of you out there, they are not vegan. Yeah, that's that's good to know. I mean, it's you know, it's really neat with all the IoT stuff. Just you know, everybody focuses on the electronics, right? Right. But there's a lot of materials science. There's a lot of just chemistry things like that going into the mix as well. Just the the increases in battery technology, the increases in stuff like this. That's you know, we we've, we've got to make parts for things out of stuff that we didn't have before. Because like, if you're picking strawberries, you cannot you know really do that with a machine like they bruise so easily you know if you're going to have robotics eventually out there doing that which by the way is miserable and you definitely want robotics doing that <laughs> like just take it from somebody that's done a lot of that you're going to have to have materials like this and the other nice thing about it is i wonder how materials like this could be used in factories that are processing food i saw for instance um what was it it was it was something that i eat but i haven't eaten in a while and it actually got recalled for metal shavings being in there. And so I'm wondering, you know, if if they build stuff like this that is biodegradable and won't, you know, actually damage anything. Yeah. There's there's some possibility that that could be a protective coating over some parts that might be in contact with food, so you don't have that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's there's a lot of places that this can go. I thought it was really fascinating when I found it. And uh, I thought everybody would be really interested in hearing about it. Yeah, I don't know that edible robotic fingers, I, like, you know, usually, I'm not saying that you lead with your best sales technique, but maybe not leading with that one. Yeah. That's what the article calls it. So. <laughs> yeah, people. <laughs> so, who's talking to us this week? Well, this week, we got a Facebook Live comment from Josh Kilgore. He says, the recent interview episodes have been really great, as I'm going through that right now for my first dev job. Really appreciate it, guys. Hey, Josh, thanks so much. Um, yeah, thanks for commenting on the, the video. We really appreciate those. Uh, we're, we're doing, getting more going. We're, we've started doing, uh, Twitter and, uh, what was the, that other one? Facebook Live? No, 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 no. The, the one that Twitter, that Twitter. Oh, Periscope. Did. Periscope. That's it. Yeah. 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 We, we've started doing those. Uh, send us a, uh, private message with your contact information because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. And guys, if you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus, and LinkedIn. We're also on Path and Tumblr. 
If you've been developing software for a while and have changed jobs a few times, you've probably run into a situation where you are working with a distributed team. If you're like many of us, you probably also ran into a distributed team that wasn't as efficient or welcoming as it could be. Yeah, managing a distributed team is at least as difficult as managing a team on site, especially when it is across time zones and international boundaries. It takes not only a better style of management, but it also requires that the team put forth some effort to make it all work. And odds are good that if you find yourself in the situation for the first time, you won't be given any instruction on how to make it all work. Yeah. Typically, you're just expected to suddenly know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's That's been my experience. And so... It's been my experience with management in general. Is yeah. You're just expected to know how to do it. Yeah. You're expected to know how to do management. But like if you're working on a distributed team, you're also expected to know how to collaborate right, effectively. Yeah. You know, like it's different. If everybody's in the office together, that's like the barrier to entry is lower. I mean, I think there's a lot of advantage to distributed teams. Don't get me wrong, but you do have to understand there's a cost that you've got to figure out how to pay. Right. And so for this episode, we've laid out some common problems you'll encounter in a distributed team, along with what you can do to fix them. For each problem, we'll talk about how to mitigate it for an individual developer, team leads or middle management, and also for upper management. So the first one is you constantly find yourself waiting on a team in a different group or are constantly interrupted by groups waiting on you. Yeah. And the, the main cause of all this is that people, unless they're forced to, don't plan ahead. And that that's kind of a common human failing. You'll, you'll even see this in organizations where everybody's right there together. You'll have the one guy that interrupts everybody because he waits till the last minute until he actually needs something and he's dead in the water and then goes and stops like four other people from working instead of sending an email like a few hours before he needs it so people can respond. Right. Or, you know, when you've got two people that live five minutes away from each other, they don't write the outline until the night before. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, now, mine was was mostly written. Hey, hey, I've done it, too. I'm not saying just you. We both do this. (laughs) Yeah, but the other thing is I wasn't waiting on anything from you. That's very true. Um, I was waiting on you to... well, we do wait on each other were, a little bit. Yeah, you were waiting. Yeah, there was there was very minimal. But like, yeah. if you have a big application, you know, you may be waiting on the remote team to get something done, or they're waiting on you. Exactly. Yeah. And if you're an individual, you you've got to start planning ahead. Like that's that's really the only way to fix this. And you have to have a bias towards asynchronous communication. You and I both know some people that that think it's absolutely stupid when somebody's you know they're four seats down and they send you an email. You know, you and I both know people like that, yes. that they're like, oh, that's dumb. It's like, no, they're, they're respecting the fact that you, know, you got headphones on and you're trying to get stuff done and they're sending you something. It's like, hey, when you can get to this, this allows you to batch things. It allows, you know, it's, it's great for us software development types. Right. And this, this is, this is true, especially when you're all remote. Like, yes. Uh, where I work, all the developers, like the whole division is work from home most of the time. But when we were in the office, we kind of had an unwritten rule that if you had headphones on, you weren't interrupted. Yeah, which I hate that because it means you always have to wear headphones to not be bothered. Right. But it was, it was kind of a, a – we, we discussed it. It was one of those things, like I said, it was unwritten, but it was something that we discussed as, okay, if I've got my headphones on, I, I may not be listening to anything. But if they're on my head – Right. You don't bother me because the other option was, because we're in a cubicle type system, the other option was putting up a sign. 
which is fine. Yeah, that 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 works too. But it's whatever works for your team. Now, mind you, we it was a noisy environment because we were in the basement. We had the fan, like the oh, so you probably had headphones on all the time yeah. anyway. Yeah, so like headphones on was a normal thing. But uh, yeah, but both of those both of those methods are line of sight methods. Yeah. Well, somebody that's over the curvature of the earth, they don't have line of sight on you. Exactly. Probably. You should be creeped out if they do. <laughs> um, just in general. Unless you're on Skype or something. Yeah, you know, but like they're just like Hangouts. looking at your back on your desk. You know, <laughs> that'd be kind of weird. You know, <laughs> Panopticon. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you have to have a bias towards asynchronous communication. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a team lead, you also have to keep async communication as your default and push back on the kind of people that want to change that to synchronous. Because a lot of like older management folks just do not seem to really grasp the fact that, hey, if somebody's five time zones away, they cannot answer you right now. You will not get an immediate answer, period. If you get one, it's a one-off. One thing I've see, I see a lot of with with the upper management types that do this kind of thing is they send an email and then they walk over. Yeah. Did you get my email? And it's like, dude, my Outlook only syncs like once every 20 minutes. Yeah. I had this actually happen to me today where I was in the bathroom and uh, I come back to my, my desk and there's a Slack message. Hey, are you out sick? Because you haven't responded to my email. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, well, you sent it. 10 minutes ago and I've been in the bathroom the last eight minutes. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, you know, it's just kind of ridiculous to expect like that, that quick synchronous response. Yeah. Like that's not what we do. It, it just isn't. And it's, it shows a lack of leadership. So if you're upper management, you need to require teams to use asynchronous uh, methods of communication and you make sure they have the tools to do it. Yeah. This is one of the benefits of having a developer as upper management, right. someone who understands that, that when I say, hey, you know, I'm here to be heads down in code, that's what I'm getting paid for, not to respond. Yeah, not to be instantly available, because yeah. those are two separate things and they do not overlap. Yeah. Um, I've worked in environments where the upper management folks were like, oh, you've got to get all this stuff done, but they didn't want you to have headphones on because they wouldn't even get up from their desk. They would just yell. Oh, yeah, I would not work there. Um, yeah, well, I didn't work there very long either. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, this is pretty common. And across you know international boundaries, obviously, this doesn't work. Because what are you right. going to do? Pick up the phone and call them? You know, it has to be async first. You, there's, there's, no, there's no other option. Yeah, and that, that just that doesn't work because you call them and it may be midnight or 1 a.m. their time. Yeah. And you know what? You just woke up their one-year-old. Yeah. And so they're not going to answer the phone because they've got a screaming kid they got to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, you, you have to understand that's how things work in these type of situations. Next, teams are regularly in conflict between locations. Yeah. This comes from humanity's innate tribalism. Yeah. We, we, like, we, we like to have our tribe. Where I work, we have four different teams and we've named our teams. And we're, you know, like we, we work together like pretty well anyways. It's, it's a sort of a fun, inclusive group, but it's, you know, we, we've got our specific project team and we, we have a name and they have a name and, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's a fun thing to do to build that camaraderie within the people that you're working with daily. But you also want to build that camaraderie with the people that you interact with on like a weekly or monthly basis. The tricky part here is 
Well, so that you're not interacting. Team, yeah. <laughs> the, when part of your team is not physically near you, like we have, and, and this is really interesting because we, we have one member of our team that is completely remote. Um, she only comes in every now and then for trainings and stuff. And so we, we deal with her almost the way, the way you would deal with someone across the world, but she's within the same time zone at least. Yeah. I mean, it, the thing about tribalism is, you know, people, people go, Oh, well, I, I'm not going to have an organization like this. It's like you need to start looking at tribalism as a force like gravity. If you're going to counteract that, it takes a lot more force versus just going, okay, I know that this is the, you know, this is the way things tend to work. And I'm going to deal with that in a way that makes it where it doesn't hurt me. You can fly with enough energy or you could just not jump off a of tall stuff. You know, and, and in that you, you can, and we'll, we'll get into this in a little bit with the, with the styles of management, but you can set your teams up so that the people that are naturally going to gravitate towards one another are already on the same teams. Right. And so here's what you got to deal with. As an individual, you've got to resist the temptation to treat remote team members as members of a different team. Um, now, that doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to have the us versus them. Mm-hmm. You got to realize you're going towards the same goals. It's a different squad, you know, in the same army. Because, I mean, all this stuff kind of comes down to how squad level tactics interact. Very true. Yeah. And as a team lead, you have to find ways of interacting with remote team members as if they were local, right? Like, you, you know, if you're a team lead and part of your team's over here and parts over here and you're over, you know, you're at one place or the other, you can't have a preference and go, okay, this, I, I interact with my local team a whole lot and the remote team when I have to. Right, because you're you're kind of walling them off, and that's that's a very bad anti pattern. Mm-hmm. As upper management, you have to ensure that you're just as reachable by team members in locations that are not local to you. Right, and you also have to you know you have to stymie attempts between different teams to go at cross purposes with each other. Like if you start seeing that backbiting from you know middle management about the other guy over here or about his people. You, know, you you've got to you've got to absolutely stop that quick and early. You can't you can't let that fester. Another anti pattern that you'll run into is where you find yourself constantly talking to the remote team leads instead of the remote team. So it's where you go, hey, I'm talking to person A's manager, and that's you know person B, and you say, tell person A that you know something like that. It's, in other words, it's the it's the angry divorced parent communication protocol. It's like you tell your father instead of actually telling them face to face. Well, not exactly, because it's a problem that I see a lot in a lot of different industries, and it's not just in this one, where even if you're not remote, even if you're in the same area, but you have different command structures, instead of going to the person, you'll go to their management. And some places want you to do this because, you know, you may not know what that person has on their plate. Right. If And so you go to their manager and their manager may go, okay, they're... They're working on this thing that's higher priority, so I'm going to put someone else on what you want. Yeah, I'm actually being specific on this because it's more like, okay, let's say that you're in Bangalore or you're you're in Hyderabad or wherever. You know, you're somewhere like over the curve of the planet. Yeah. And I'm here and our manager's in New York or, you know, like our manager's manager in New York. And you've got a manager sitting there, but we're supposed to be on the same project and me going to your manager instead of you. To communicate. In other words, an extra hop for something that we already know what we're supposed to be doing, but instead of being able to communicate 
about what we're doing, it has to go through an intermediary. And and that that's a that really a dysfunctional protective structure is what it is. It, it is unless you have a language barrier. Yeah, but that's a problem too, right? Right. If you can't communicate in the same language, you should not be collaborating on a project directly. You know, like somebody needs to do one part, somebody needs to do another part, and they don't need to be on the same team. Yeah. Trying to work together, trying to collaborate. Um, and, and that's that's a big deal there. Um, it just it typically means that communication is broken in some way and that things have been restructured to try and route around the damage. Mm-hmm. This can be stuff like, you know, people protecting their corporate fiefdom. So, you know, somebody's kind of a quasi manager and they're they're like, OK, well, everybody has to come through me to talk to you. And, and, you know, people are just sort of protecting their own little area. It can also be because, you know, like you said, the language barrier, it could be a time zone thing. So you talk to the project manager because the project manager is the only one up at six, their time. And everybody else rolls in at nine. And the project manager's got the stuff to hand off, right? It, it can well, be those kind of structural problems, too. It, it, I, I can see that. But I've also seen where the other side of the dysfunction, and it's not where someone has worked on a project and like an, for an internal customer, and then anytime that internal customer wants something like a, a change made or something like that, instead of going through the process of getting the change, they just go contact the developer. Yeah. And where they were on a team together maybe five years ago. Now they're not. Now they're not. And, and so I guess that's, that's my warning here with that is it could go bad the opposite way too. Well, I mean, and that's still a management issue too, right? Oh, it's, yeah. it's a management issue from one side or the other. It's This is downstream of some other problem, and most of these are. Right. As an individual, you should combat this by basically having direct contact with the distributed team members. If you're if you're working together on something, I mean, you got to get that clear. Yeah. But if you say, if we're working together on something, I'm talking to them. Right. Not going through some intermediary. That's fine. They can report up the chain, but we can't have our communication be delayed potentially by hours. Because management's in an upper management, you know, they're in a they're in a meeting. Well, that's like like where I work. The API developers and the UI developers have different command structures. Right. We report up differently, but when you know I'm on a team with a UI developer, we talk directly on that project. Right. And you got to have that kind of collaboration. Now, if, if you're mid level management, you have to actually encourage your people to talk to the distributed team. And that may include allowing them to make some decisions themselves because, hey, you may not be there. Their manager may not be there because there's, you know, now you're talking time zone differences. It's not just, oh, you know, this guy gets in at six and leaves at three. This guy gets in at 10 and leaves at whatever the time for that would be. I can't think of it in my head. It's, hey, this guy gets in at six, their time. And this other guy gets in at 430, this, these their people's time. time. Yeah. They have 30 minutes to make a decision or it's like late tomorrow before it starts. Yeah, and, and that's that's one of the issues. Also, just a management thing. At the mid-team lead management level, you should trust your people enough to be able to make decisions and yeah. work with them enough to where they know what types of decisions they're allowed to make and what they need to pass up. Right. And I mean, that's, you know, that's also a good decision just as a, you know, like a middle manager because, hey, you know who's going to replace you in your job? It's somebody that reports to you. Right. Potentially. And you need to empower those people because if you don't, they will not move you up because they can't. If you're upper management, you you got to keep your teams from atomizing like this due to bad reasons. Um, it might still be that there's you know primary contact points at each location, but you shouldn't allow it to develop so that there are just you know single contact points. 
it might be a thing where, hey, there's two or three really competent developers, and we get a hold of one of them, and then you know they push the rest of the team. But you can't just go, oh, we got this guy. And right. if that guy isn't there, nothing's getting done today. You can't allow that from an executive position. Next, your corporate leadership doesn't trust team members at some locations as much as they trust them at others. Now, this can be happen because of regulatory differences, previous events such as mergers or acquisitions, or even bigotry. And, you know, it could also be justified. It could be that they know over here, hey, they don't do as well. Yeah, because, I mean, the other thing that happens sometimes with outsourced teams is you'll get the top management guy or, you know, guy or gal that's trying to save money. Mm-hmm. And so they get an outsourced team and they don't care because they think developers are interchangeable. And so they get a team that maybe is, you know, they're, they're underpaid and maybe they're a little less cautious than they should be. And, you know, your upper mid management is well aware of that. And so they don't trust them and that maybe they shouldn't. That does happen. But the other thing that happens is like when you've got companies that have got things like uh, PCI compliance, HIPAA compliance, uh, those kind of deals, and they're not necessarily completely doing what they should be doing over here. They say, oh, well, our developers might have access to HIPAA data, but the developers in Hyderabad can't have access to it because you can't ship that over there. And so they, there's a trust boundary, but it's, hey, look, there's a difference in regulations. Like you probably shouldn't have your developers here doing that either, but people let stuff slide more than you think. Exactly. You know, like you were saying, the boundary of trust will create problems if things are structured such that trust is required across locations. Right. So, for instance, again, we're going to say you're in Hyderabad because, you know. For some reason, I'm in Hyderabad. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a nice place, right? So, and you're, so I've never been there. I haven't ever been there either, but I've met, met several people from there and they're nice people. So, I assume they come from a nice place. But let's say that we're working on a database project and there's something going on in the database and we have to have a specific set of data and you and I are supposed to collaborate, but I can't send you the data that matters. Okay. That's a management problem because management should be going, okay, it's it's just going to have to fall on the U S person to do this because of the regulatory situation. Like there's, but a lot of times that will be the last consideration or they'll, yeah. they'll come back like a week later and go, Oh my goodness, we can't do this. And you know, you've been dead in the water for a week or you've shared data or you've just been pulling a double load. So, As an individual, you need to find out exactly what they don't trust about the other team or Or about your your team. Yeah, because the other thing, too, is you also see management that goes, okay, I trust the team that I have overseas to work hard and, uh, you know, really produce well. And I, you know, I trust the Americans to speak English and maybe don't trust them to be as conscientious about their work and about working while they're in the office versus, you know, two hours a day or something. I mean, I've, I've been in environments like that, too, where the remote team, you know, it all lands on them. And if you're if you're conscientious and you're on the local team, you're kind of sitting there going, well, what am I doing? Yeah, I, I understand that. Now, as sort of middle management or team lead, you need to be trying either to give the team being distrusted the opportunity to prove themselves or trying to mitigate the damage. So you could, you know, you set policies in place so that it doesn't become a problem. And I mean, that it kind of goes to upper management too, right? Like you, you still have to give people a chance to fix bad impressions if that's what has caused the the breach or it caused not the breach, but caused the problem. It caused a breach of trust or you need to get them out of there. Right. Like you can't have, well, I mean, I guess you could technically have a team of, you know, flunkies, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, halfway, you know, around the world, but that. You're not going to get good quality work. You're probably going to overpay for it, and you're probably going to be fixing it on this side anyway. Like you, you have to empower the people on the other end. 
Now, the, the next one that can come up is communication in voice meetings can be a bit difficult for people to understand. Um, you and I had this problem fairly recently. Right. Different accents, especially multiple, widely different ones, can be difficult to understand, even if everyone is speaking the same language. So, even if you're all talking English, we're an English-speaking podcast, so even if you're all speaking English, you may have people in very different areas. So, you go from one strong accent talking English to a completely different strong accent talking English in the same meeting. And then it's it becomes an issue because the way you listen to one person versus the way you listen to another is different. Oh my goodness, if you get into the whole idiomatic structure and the difference between British and American English, it, you know, and then some, some languages have multiple, multiple variants. I think like Spanish has like a ton of different variants. Yeah. Whereas at least with English, we have British English and American English, and that's about it. Australian. Yeah, they're, they're close enough to British to pass. <laughs> Australian, Irish. Yeah, just tell them that. I'm sure there's some dude fuming now. No, but I mean, you can get, you know, like, and the other thing you'll see too is if it's English as a second, second language, they'll have different pronunciations of, especially consonants, I've noticed, and yeah. they'll have different structures to the way that they lay their sentences out because they're still laying it out the way that their language does it, not the way English does it. And so you kind of have to be able to try to deal with this as best you can because I mean, there's there's really not a fix for this. As an individual, you you might want to try learning a little bit of the other languages that your team uses. So, for instance, you know with you know with the Russian group, you might learn just enough Russian to be able to say you know good morning and a few phrases like that. And it's not so that you can use them; it's so that you can understand the way they structure their sentences and the way they pronounce their consonants because it 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 doesn't take a whole lot that for that to switch over and all of a sudden you can understand them. The other trick you can do, for instance, if if they're you know if they're English language speakers and that like that's all they speak, is try impersonating them on your on your own, not in a derogatory way. <laughs> yeah. But think about the things they've said and then try to say it that way. And if you if you do that enough, there's there's probably some neuroscientist that can tell you why this works. But it, it, for some reason, it just makes it much easier to understand them. That's why if you get on a phone call with with me, you know, talking to people in India or Pakistan or you know Japan or a few other places like that, I don't have as much trouble as a lot of people do. So as middle management, try to keep your meetings small and brief with only the required parties. This should be the way things are done anyways, but uh, your daily scrum shouldn't have 20 people across three continents. Yeah, and I've had let's just say that I've had some personal experience with that. When you're listening on the phone and, you know, half the stuff is stuff that you don't care about because the team is too big and you're you're touching on things you don't care about. And then you've got the the language slash inflection slash accent thing switching back and forth because you're you're listening to a guy from Wales talk to a guy who uh, speaks Bengali most of the time? The the and they're both speaking English. Like that switch, even if you've even if you've practiced both accents, like you can't do that. Your my at least my brain won't do it, and I think a pretty good percentage of the populations won't. Right. So you got to keep those meetings kind of trimmed down as far as how many people, at least reduce the surface area where these problems can occur. Well, you should be doing that anyways. You shouldn't be having, especially not a scrum with. Right. Not that many people, but you, you shouldn't be having meetings with people that 
aren't needed. This meeting should be kept as small and brief as possible. Yeah. Because we're not paid to go to meetings, you know, even though, well, I'm sure there's someone in the organization that probably is basically paid to go to meetings. That's called a project manager. Yeah. As a developer, that's not what we're being held accountable for, is how many meetings did you attend? On your annual review, they're not going to look at how many meetings did you attend. Yeah, they're going to see what you did. And, you know, just when you get up to the upper management level, too, the next next thing you have to do is you, you've you got to really push hard to keep your people from scheduling those kind of long cross-team meetings. And don't do it yourself. Right? There's, there's no point in that. It, it's okay for you to attend five meetings. It's not okay for you to go, oh, let's get five meetings in at once and let's waste everybody's time and frustrate everybody because it is very mentally taxing and you're dealing with people that are trying to use their intellectual power yeah. to make you money. Speaking of meetings, the next one is meetings are continually scheduled at very inconvenient times. And this has never, ever happened to either one of us. Right. <laughs> well, not this month. It'd be in October 9th. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I think, yeah. It's it's October 9th. Yeah, not yeah. this month. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, this is a function of geometry, right? Like, one side of the planet has light on it, the other side of the planet doesn't, and you've got people on both sides. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And yes, it, it can be difficult to schedule meetings. We've experienced this somewhat recently on a, on a side project that we were working on. Yeah, and that was, just, you know, some of the reason we kind of dropped it, too, yeah. was because it was just... Like you can't you can't get past this, especially if you're not there during the day. But mm-hmm. um, as an individual to deal with this, you you need to get in the habit of planning ahead for things before you need them. You really should be doing this if you're in a co-located team, by the way. Right. But it's especially bad across these kind of distances because you could just be dead in the water for hours if you if you're not careful about it. Also, individuals need to enforce very strong boundaries with regards to after hours interruptions. Yeah. No, it's one thing if it is, you know, the building's on fire emergency situation, but, you know, if it's... Status updates that somebody just decided they needed and they needed at 10 o'clock your time, you know, you're not obligated to provide that. Like, you're obligated, like, if you really want to do your job well, what you need to do is go, okay, we've got to handle this better because I can't can't drop everything at 10 o'clock at night or I can't get back up out of bed and go send you a status report and then be in in the morning, by the way, while you're sleeping. Like that, that's not okay. So don't, don't allow that. As an individual, that's the biggest thing you can do. I will say this. It's another thing if you knew your status report was required. Oh, yeah. And you didn't send it in. And then so, they should totally wake you up. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's on you. That's your, your fault for not doing what you were supposed to do. But if this is a all of a sudden a change in the way things are, or there's not an established way of doing things, and they they say, "Oh, we suddenly need a status update." No, that is well. And the other thing too is like if they suddenly need a status update, you might not have a job in the morning anyway because all of a sudden every you know the eye of Sauron is on you basically at this point. Yeah. Like it's that's not a good a, a good situation. Now, if you're middle management, you also have to make sure that your people are not getting after hours pressure put on them. Um, especially remote ones, because I, I've done this with a remote team before where we had we had people overseas and it's like, OK, well, you know, it's 11 o'clock in the morning here. Well, where, where's your remote team? Oh, the Philippines. What time is it there? Oh, I'll just send them an email. You've got to not do that. Something else I've seen that I, 
I thought was pretty clever is there's tools like Boomerang for Gmail and there's tools. Most email clients have got this too, where you can, you can type up an email and schedule when it gets sent. Do that so that it hits during their time. And so instead of immediately sending it, go, okay, when are they actually going to be there? So that it's not, you know, pinging people's phone in the dead of night and all that. Because what, what you can do, if you tend to send emails, like as you think about it, like the middle of the day, well, it's, it's night over there, right? What do you and I do? Because I, I know I do this, right? I've got people that love to send me crap in the middle of the night. You know, my phone is off. Like the sound's off. It's face down. There's no way to get a hold of me. Yeah. Right. Like you do not want to be training your people to do that. Because if there is a building on fire emergency, you just condition them to ignore it. Right. And you can't you can't get angry at them because they ignored it because... <laughs> God forbid they want to sleep. Yeah. It's the middle of the night and they're asleep. Yeah. yeah. You know, you you pinged them eight times this week about their TPS report. Yeah, you know, Friday when the whole you know when the when the whole web farm is down and you know it's two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, they're not going to be able to take your call because they've had to block you so that they can get some sleep. Now, upper management should make sure that teams have the proper tools and processes for communicating in distributed fashion. Yes, and please, for the love of all that is holy, understand that this does not entail screen sharing and a speakerphone <laughs> i you know i see this stuff all the time and it's like okay first of all like let's say that you've got you know you got a distributed work environment the other person it's it's 11 o'clock at night their wife's pregnant they've got two small children you've got a situation you got to deal with now is not the time to try to set up collaboration software and if a speakerphone and screen sharing is the only way they can get things done you've made a mistake and you need to not have this problem. Like this is a serious risk to you. Just like 30 minutes before the interview is not the time to be setting up collaboration software for a podcast. Right. It's never happened to us before ever. (laughs) It has not happened this month. It has not happened this year. That's true. But it especially hasn't happened this month. Right, right. Because we're going to use this month as the gold standard for <laughs> for all the things because we haven't really screwed up yet. We're only nine days in right now. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So the next one, teams and other locations are remote and mysterious to you. You don't know them. Yeah. So like when you're on a call and, you know, they'll be like in a conference room and they got the camera and there's like five people in there. If you can't identify those five people you're in this situation. Right. This happens because you aren't face-to-face and you're not communicating regularly. Now, as an individual, you should try and participate in some non-work chat over the available communication channels. Yeah. And this can be tricky, right? Because, well, if you, you know, let's say, again, I'm going to use Hyderabad as an example because... Because apparently I'm supposed to... Well, like, I'm really hungry for Indian food. So, like, you know... Oh, that's it. That, like that's that's actually my permanent state. Like if I could eat if I could eat curry for breakfast, I would. That does not and if, surprise me. And if a place opens all. and offers it, I will be there every day. But you know, let's say you got you got a team in Hyderabad, right? Well, what do you talk to them about? Because again, you don't know what's there. Well, okay. What does everybody do? Everybody does stuff for entertainment. Everybody eats. Everybody has a family. And and most people Pretty drink. Much. Yeah, you you got to watch that in some parts of the world. Because that's not a you know that's not allowed behavior, and you also got to say, hey, what are your best beef recipes? <laughs> yeah, you well, know, or what are your best pork recipes? Like, there's places in the world that that's not a good idea. But you can you can talk about you know f- food and drink. Like, if you've got nothing else, talk about something. 
can always talk about the weather. Yeah. Like everybody has crappy weather. Yeah. Well, I mean, unless you live in like Hawaii. No, you still have crappy weather in Hawaii too sometimes. So yeah, everybody. Yeah. Well, and if you're from Tennessee and you're talking to people again in, in India, you can say, Hey, it's hot. It's humid. Here too, buddy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But you need to have those little conversations. I know they don't sound like they're valuable, but what it does is it humanizes the other people. You don't see like this it drone over here that's doing something. It's a person. Well, it doesn't appear to be valuable because you don't see a, you know, investment return type deal. And you don't see that in your day to day conversations, but you're having these types of conversations all day long over the course of months and years with the people in the office with you. Right. And you, with the remote team, you have to really put a focus on that. And that's one thing that we've kind of done where I work because we're all a little bit remote being work from home. We try to throw in before our meeting officially starts, we'll have a little conversation about what's going on in our lives. Like, you know, I know about our QAs, kids sports teams. You know, they're playing in high school because she talks about that. You know, I know about our DBA's home down in Florida that she's building up for when she eventually retires because she talks about that. Right. And this is easier. I mean, you should be doing this in an office environment too. Yeah. But the thing is, in an office, it's a lot easier and it's socially expected. Whereas Mm -hmm. the pressure goes the other way over official communication and the fact that it gets recorded. Well, it's basically water cooler talk. It's that talk that you have as you're walking out to go home, as you see each other walking in, as you go to get, you know, a drink or something or go get a cup of coffee. It's these kind of conversations that you don't think anything about. But when you're dealing with a distributed team like this, you have to consciously make that effort to have those conversations. Yes. Now, as a middle manager... You need to spend some time trying to encourage people to make better contacts on teams in other locations. And this may require assigning people to work together. And I mean, you've got the power to do that. And if you're upper management, you've got to make sure your policies and procedures for using work tools for chit chat and socializing are not set up in such a way that people are scared to do it. Like they, They don't need to be like you were saying, you know, it's recorded. They don't need to be scared that, oh, if I if I spend the first few minutes uh, before a meeting starts, once a few of us are in the room just chatting about what's going on, yeah, you know we're going to get in trouble for it, right? Or if, or if I go, you know, if if I'm talking to a colleague, you know, over the curve of the planet, and I'm trying to get a chicken sog recipe because I'm really hungry for that right now, and they happen to have a good one, and they share it with me. Like management should not be coming down on us for that, right? Because that's that's what's going to happen if the two of you are in the same building. Right. It's just there's no record for management. So you got to be kind of careful as upper management in distributed teams not to penalize things that happen face to face. No, I mean, if the entire time that they're supposed to be discussing something else, they are doing that, that's a different story. Right. But I mean, but you you can do that by measuring productivity, not by monitoring chat logs. Right. The next one is people are afraid to rock the boat because it might hurt the team. Yeah, and this this comes down to when you start treating people as members of a team versus being individuals. So, like, there's a turf war going on, and you go, "Oh, that's so and so's team over here doing this." Well, no, it's it's th- this this person doing it. It's it's not the whole team. And if you set things up where that kind of pattern goes out, where it it lands on the team, you will choke off communication pretty quickly. 
Because people are scared because the people that are sitting right there with them are going to catch flack for it, too, if they screw up. Yeah, we really don't want this kind of fear reaction on your team. As an individual, you need to form alliances with members of other teams as well. You know, reach across the aisle. Now, I've talked about how we have our project teams, but the developers, like I know the front-end developers, they get together and have a, a front-end code review every week. And then all the developers get together and have a developer chat. But the, the back-end developers, when one of us learns something new, especially the, the juniors, when we learn something new, we're, we're constantly on Slack, just back and forth. Hey, have you yep. seen this? Have you heard of this? Or, you know, if, uh, if we're working on something, we get stuck. Honestly, we usually go to the other junior first just to see if they've worked with it uh, because they're kind of talking at the same level. Right. And then go up the chain of, all right, now, now I'll talk, you know, they haven't got experience. Okay. I'll go to the senior, then up to the lead. And then they asked me to ask you, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wondered what the, what the chain of events was. Now I know, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we do this over Skype where I work too. I don't think it's really officially sanctioned, but it's our personal Skype accounts. Okay. Because we're not quite that organized. So. We go back and forth, but yeah, you absolutely have to do this. And, and just having that interaction forms those alliances. Like you don't have to go, Oh, I'll cover your back. If you cover mine, like, don't do that crap. Like just help people. And if you're middle management, you've got to make sure that you aren't playing teams off of each other. I've, I've seen this a lot. And unfortunately I felt the temptation to do this once or twice. I don't think I really have, but if the the other teams are remote and you got people here, it's real easy to go, Oh, well they do that over there or they, you know, screw those guys, something like that. You really got to watch your own gossip because you can create those walls yourself. Yeah. Or, or a, well, they're doing this. So you guys can do better. Right. And that, and put them in competition or cross purposes. And mm -hmm. yeah, that's definitely not good. And it goes, it goes further up to upper management. You've got to stop your mid-level people from engaging in this kind of behavior. You got to sniff it out and stop it. There's a difference between friendly competition. Yeah, friendly competition is great. When it's, when it's them going, all right, Hey, we're going to, we're going to get to this point before you do. And just kind of fun back and forth. That's one thing. But when it is like you said, when it's like middle management playing them off of each other, um, that just, that leads to resentment and leads to uh, almost a hostile work environment. Really? Yeah. Give or take. So the next one is that, Various people are uncommitted or unaccountable. It's really easy, especially when you get with a larger team, for people to lose accountability just in the shuffle, uh, especially if they're not the type that take personal responsibility for their actions or they, they want to just blame it on the team, blame it on other circumstances. In a distributed team like this, it becomes easier for them to play those blame games, so to speak. As an individual, you have to keep yourself accountable. Take personal responsibility for what you do. If you screw up, say, hey, I screw up. I cannot tell you how much respect you gain, especially from more senior people, more senior developers, even management, when you take personal responsibility for screw ups. You also have to be in regular communication with your chain of command to make sure you aren't the problem. And I'll say one thing that it's become very clear to everyone where I work, our upper management has been a good, done a good job of making this clear. They don't mind 
if we make mistakes, that happens. Or if things are going to take longer, if we run into problems, that's okay. So long as they know. If they find out during the first week of a sprint, oh, hey, we're not going to be able to do this because it's actually going to take longer than a three-week sprint to build this piece. They're okay with that. If they find out, you know, two days before the end of the sprint, oh, yeah, we're not going to be able to do this because it's going to take too much, you know, it's going to take longer than we actually have to build it. Yeah, and, we've, and we've known the entire time. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't fly real well. And the other thing, too, is if you admit your mistakes to management, people like to think that that's kind of a, a weakness sort of thing. But what it actually does is it lets you start triaging the problem quicker. I consider it a strength myself. I do, too. I mean, if if you can say, I messed up, and here's where I messed up, to me, that has a that takes a certain strength of character to be able to say, I messed up. Yeah. And, you know, as middle management, you have to make sure your direct reports feel comfortable saying that. Like, they feel like they're not going to get fired. They're not going to be written up. They're not going to be... You know, have people come down on them if they just made a mistake. Now, if they continually make a mistake, that's another thing. Well, if they continue to make the same mistake. Then it's a habit. Yeah. Or if they continue to make similar mistakes and they're not showing any progress towards getting better. That is, that is one thing and they should get in trouble for that. But if they make a mistake and they come to you and say, you know, I messed up. It's your job to help them find a solution that may be getting another developer that's got more experience to help them out that may be reassigning them to something that they have more experience in or that they're they feel more comfortable with yeah or maybe pushing to get the timelines moved right because you know you're in a position where you're in those meetings where that that stuff is worked out so exactly do it now if you're upper management you have you know you've got to make sure your middle management is empowered enough to be able to act this stuff out. Mm-hmm. I've worked at a lot of places where the upper management basically had, you know, what they called their middle management and they didn't manage anything. It was just another node in the delegation tree. And that person couldn't, you know, they couldn't hire, they couldn't fire, they couldn't do anything else except be held accountable for what the people under them got done. And you can't have that kind of management structure and do this. It, it just won't work. Right. The next one is where domain knowledge is fragmented across teams. So, like, you have a team that's remote that's working on one part of the system. You have a you know a team here that's working on another part. You have another team in another area that's working on something else, and they don't communicate much. And this happens where obviously you've got local team leaders and you got local teams, and it's it's a way to you know initially when it starts, it's a way to try to avoid all the communication problems we've been dealing with here, especially like if it's an older company and they've been doing this a while when you had you know, very spotty internet and you didn't have video chat and you didn't have all these other things. Like you didn't have the tooling to support this. This is, this is easy to do, especially when you're, you guys are working on separate items and you know, you may be working on the same app, but you're working on different features or you've got a mobile team versus an API team versus a web team. Right. You get three different teams and they're all in different locations that, that can be, yeah, that that can easily lead to this happening. It, it's also risky as a team getting cut. Which totally happens. Yeah. Can mean the sudden cessation of support for a large chunk of your app. Or if the team is, you know, if they're not completely cut, but they're halfway cut and they're halfway around the planet. Mm-hmm. What's the other half of that team doing when half of them are gone? They're looking for work. And, you know, they don't 
you know, they may not care anymore. And mm-hmm. so you don't want to be in a situation where you're trying to get answers from somebody who, you know, is halfway around the planet, unaccountable, and I was like, not disinterested, but distracted. Yeah. So as an individual, and I, I've been dealing with this all day long, you've got to document your stuff. I've been reading documentation all day today. You know, pad estimates if you have to, but don't be the problem. Yeah. And, you know, as middle management, you have to insist on specifications and documentation as part of the project deliverable. And we're going through this process at work because we've got a couple of people that, you know, they produce documentation, but it's not quite enough to actually tell you what's going on. It's real light documentation. It's it's basically like, you know, like the outlines I used to write, right? right? Where I would write something and you're like, what does that mean? And it's a prompt for me. Well, if I'm not here, it's gibberish. Right. Now, you know, I've stopped doing that, but there's people that write documentation that way. The other thing you'll have, you know, in a middle middle management position is you'll have higher ups that are wanting stuff done and they don't care about the docs right now. And you, you really have to push back on that because if you lose some people, that stuff's just gone. And as upper management, you have to provide your team with the tools to keep documentation up to date in a distributed fashion. So the final point that we have is that it's hard to gauge team morale. Yeah. And you get this in development teams anyway, right? Like there's the old thing that people say is, you know, a development crew is kind of like a tree of monkeys. The monkeys up high in the tree look down and see only smiling faces and the monkeys further down look up and only see something unfavorable. (laughs) 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 We got to be kids safe. Yeah. You can probably guess from anatomy and, you know, the orientation of a climbing monkey, Uh, but it's even worse um, with a distributed team because you, you can't even see those smiling faces. Yeah. You you can't easily tell how the team is doing, even if, because people are going to put on a good face for meetings. And this is another reason going back to one of the previous points, you need to have those, kind of side conversations, you know, a little bit before or right after the meeting, because that's going to help you gauge this. As an individual, you need to bring concerns to management, especially if they're remote, as early as possible. Yeah, because, you know, it's it's curious. There's most companies in the U.S. and most companies everywhere do not regularly post job openings for mind readers. They just don't. So you probably don't have one that you're reporting to. Very, very true. So you got to tell them stuff because they're not going to know. Now on this, I'm, I'm going to say something here. I'm going to go on my own little mini rant here. You got to be careful what you say. Yes. Because, and this is something that I have, I have done. I have said to management, either mid-management or upper management, things just express frustrations yeah. That were not meant as a, oh, something needs to be done about this. It was just a, you know, frustration at the situation. Management took that as, oh, I need to do something here. Yeah. Now, as middle management, you need to elicit feedback from your people, especially the remote workers. Because as Will said, you're not a mind reader. You're not working for a mind reader. And your team you members. <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah. If you're if you think you're working for a mind reader, uh, what am I thinking right now? Um, <laughs> but yeah, you, you actually have to reach out to your team members and you're going to have to do it more than you would in a normal uh, middle management position, especially if they're remote. Mm-hmm. You, you got to have those those kind of conversations and you're, you're just going to have to do it. There, there's no there's no way around it. If you get into upper management, 
you have got to let your middle management people fix morale problems or escalate them to you if they can't be fixed. But you've, you've got to empower them enough where they can. You do not, as upper management, want to be in a position where you have to fix morale problems for a distributed team. You will be up all the time. Um, and yeah. besides that, it's like, why do you have middle management if you're going to be doing that? Yeah, uh, that's called micromanaging. Oh, micro mismanaging. Well, yeah, that's true. So guys, working on a distributed team can save your company money, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be easier. In fact, you have to be more conscientious when working on a distributed team because all the things that can go wrong. There are things you can do as an individual and as a manager to mitigate these problems, but you're going to have to put the effort in to make those changes happen. That pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I want to point out that the structure of an application tends to follow the structure of the team that created it. Um, in other words, if you have two separate teams, you know, one's the API team and one's the front end team, you're not going to see a lot of coupling between the API and the front end of your app because you have two separate teams, you know, especially if they're in, in distant locations. Now, that's pretty obvious, but what's interesting is, is you can actually go the other way about it. So you can start uh, looking at your organizational structure. And if you move people into the right places, you can actually shape the app. You can do this a lot of times as a much more junior developer. Um, for instance, if you're if you're a front-end Angular developer and there's an API back-end team and they're you know halfway around the world, if you set things up so that you work more closely with them, you can actually make those parts of the system work together better and you can start kind of bridging the gap where it might actually help your the rest of your team come together. BJ's actually pulled this off at work because he came into his job as both a front-end and a back-end developer. And as a result, the two teams are now cross-pollinating a lot more. I've done the same thing uh, where I work because we have, you know, we have the web folks and we have the Delphi folks. Well, you know, I already did the web and I started learning the Delphi side of things. We have a junior developer now who's going to start learning Delphi as well so that we can cross-pollinate the teams. And, and you know, the idea there is that you can actually force organizational change without managerial authority if you can figure out who to work with to make that happen. It'll happen naturally and management will think it's their idea. So I just want to throw that out there as something that you might want to do if you're feeling a little powerless because um, you can fix organizational problems a lot of times with a lot less power than you think. So that's all I got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Look for us each week on Facebook Live before we record each episode. Thanks for listening. See you next time.